Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast, episode 70. I hope you're having a good morning this morning, or I guess if it's the afternoon, I hope you're having a good afternoon as well. Just, I hope you're having a good day. I'm excited to talk to you today about the pastor and alcohol. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need wisdom as we think through the biblical perspective on the pastor and alcohol. Just help me to speak clearly, and I just ask this would be helpful. I pray this would be equipping of pastors and uh, young guys in particular who may be serving with older congregations who are really struggling with the idea of, of alcohol and what's the deal with this, and I don't know, just give me wisdom, and I trust that you're going to, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, before we get started, let me give you three things that I want you to think about, and then we'll get into talking about, and then we'll jump into our series that we've been walking through in First Timothy. So first, the Shepherd's Crook Cohort. It starts in January. It goes through June. It'll be the last Saturday of every month. We're going to be talking through the two big questions that I want to help you understand and get answers to, get handles on. Who is a pastor and what does a pastor do? We're going to go through the five callings of a pastor and the seven pastoral priorities. And I really want to help you get handles on those two questions. If you get answers to those questions, it's going to be really helpful for you to be able to set the pace of life, to be able to embrace an understanding of biblical ministry and pastoral ministry in a way that's sustainable over the long haul in a way that's healthy over the long haul. And so I want you to sign up. It's going to be a hundred bucks. It'll be a video through Zoom. And if you'll let me know and give me that hundred dollars, then you'll get a welcome packet in January with the syllabus, the book list, and all of that, and a couple welcome things in that package as well. So the cohort. Number two, the intensive May 5th to the 7th. I know it's like six months away, but I really want you to come to the intensive in Eminence, Missouri. It's a lot of fun. It costs $175, and that covers the cost for food and lodging. All you all you have to do is bring your own tent, and we're going to go up the river 50 miles, and we're going to do a 50-mile float over two days and talk pastoral ministry. Specifically, the theme this year is the manly pastor. So that's the intensive. You can check that out on the website. Would love for you to make it. Number three is the Shepherd's Crook for Wives update is now on the website. There's been some really neat updates that are going on on the website. I want to thank Riley, give him a shout out at the Honor God Network, who's done all the work for the Majesty's Men and for my website, the Shepherd's Crook. Uh, and so if you'll check that out, the Fruitful and Fearless podcast goes along with the Shepherd's Crook for Wives. So we're putting resources and starting in the beginning of the year, we're going to have more articles that are for ladies, for the wives of pastors and for women in general. So you want to check that out, the Shepherd's Crook for Wives and the Fruitful and Fearless podcast. Now, let's talk through the pastor and alcohol from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here is the qualification. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, able to teach, not a drunkard. Not a drunkard. Now, this discussion on alcohol will drive people crazy, particularly baby boomers. If you're at a baby boomer church, you know what I, you can just, we can kind of like nod our head at each other through the, you know, through the earbuds. And I'm just nodding my head at you right now. I get it. It can get quite insane. Let me give you an example. I was once serving at a church 
And this is the kind of church where teetotaling wasn't voluntary, it was demanded. Well, it was, if it wasn't demanded, it was strongly recommended. And especially from the pastor, if you ever to look at wine or beer or anything like that, it was just a, it was a no-no by a majority of the people in the congregation. Well, I was out to eat one day and I saw a gentleman from our church and just started talking to him. And then a couple weeks later, I find out that there had been rumors that were spreading that I had been out drinking at this restaurant. Well, it wasn't true. I had voluntarily become a teetotaler, even in my home, because of people in our church and the perspective of people in our church. And that sparked up these discussions, and they started saying, well, I was drinking at this restaurant, and people, of course, when that rumor gets gets around in an older congregation, then in an older Baptist congregation or Baptist D congregation, people lose their minds. They really do. They can't think clearly. And I don't know of any particular topic in the context of older congregations specifically that will really draw a line in the sand between believing the Bible is authoritative over our life and believing my mother said, my grandmother said, my uncle's an alcoholic, and he said, as authoritative than that particular issue. What's going to be authoritative? Our experiences or the word? Okay, our fear or the word? And in a lot of settings throughout this country, not just in the South, throughout the Midwest and even on the coasts, there are still pockets of Baptist folks primarily who are teetotalers for their life and they make that demand on everybody else. Alcohol is viewed as simply bad. And logic and just biblical reasoning doesn't make any sense to them. They can't go there. And so you say simple things like, hey, listen, the Bible speaks to alcohol and it's morally neutral. The Bible says to not be a drunkard and that's clear. We shouldn't be a drunkard with alcohol as an elder, but wine is commanded to be drunk in the scriptures for communion. Uh, It's the only drink in all of the Bible, in fact, that we're commanded to drink, and we are to be wise, and you know, you have this conversation, and it goes south really quickly. You say, hey, listen, guns are neutral. They can be used in positive and negative ways. Sex is neutral. It can be used in positive and negative ways, and yet people lose it. Why? Okay, let's, let's first look at the Bible, and then let's talk about two errors, because there can be errors made with alcohol, like there can be errors made with anything. Um, but let's first look at the scriptures. So, as we think through all the biblical passages, I, I was brought in my library to just remembering a book that a man named Brad Winnington wrote, and the book was called What Would Jesus Drink? And what the, the subtitle says is what the Bible really says about alcohol. And what he does is he breaks down every verse in the Bible referring to wine or strong drink. It's 247 verses, and here's what he found. Just let me read a few of these excerpts. I considered warnings against abuse, 17 verses, examples of abuse, 19 verses, guidelines for selecting leaders, 3, and warnings against causing a brother to stumble, 1, to be indications of negative aspects of drinking. There were 40 such references, 16% of the verses. Now let's look at the positive. I considered examples of the commonly accepted practices of drinking with meals, 59, the abundance of wine as examples of God's blessing, 27 verses, loss of wine and strong drink as an example of God's curse, 20 verses, Use of wine and offerings and sacrifices, 25 verses. Wine used as a gift, 9 verses. And metaphorical references as a basis for favorable comparison, 5 verses, to be positive references. There were 145 such references. 59% of the verses on alcohol in the Bible were positive. And then the neutral verses. I considered the symbolic references, such as wine of his wrath. There were 33 verses like that. Vows of abstinence, 21 
people falsely accused of being drunk, four verses, and four others that didn't seem to fit any category to be neutral. There were 62 such references, so 25% of the verses. So let's consider that again. 16% of the verses in the Bible refer to alcohol in negative ways, so giving warnings and such. 59% of the verses in the Bible are positive, considered as blessings and gifts from the Lord. And 25% of the verses are, are just simply neutral verses, references to alcohol. That's what the Bible speaks to when it talks about alcohol. In the Old Testament, I remember an example in Deuteronomy 18 where God actually encouraged people to buy strong drink. Here's what he said, spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen, sheep, or wine, or strong drink. One of the reasons I don't like the Christian Standard Bible is because they they change the Hebraic word for strong drink into beer, and it's a complete Southern Baptist thing because strong drink and beer are not the same things. Beer has a lower alcohol content than wine, and it certainly doesn't have the same alcohol content as strong drink. And he says, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. It's actually a command, and God kind of nudging them, hey, you can buy strong drink if you want. And so, if we want to be biblical about this, and the Bible is our authority, and we are good Bible-believing evangelical people here, well then, we just take the scriptures for what it says. The, we are, the pastor is not to be a drunkard. So there's two errors, I think, that we can come up with based on the biblical standard. Error number one, we can say alcohol is bad. Voluntary teetotaling is fine. It really is. If you choose not to drink, that's great. I have a pastor buddy of mine that he chooses not to drink ever, and that's fine. But the John MacArthur position, I, I truly believe this, is is massively an error. John MacArthur speaking of the wine being juice or grape juice. There's no biblical foundation for that at all. None. It's comical. It's not right. If you just take the Bible for what it says, like John MacArthur does on so many other things, then the position really is untenable. We can't make teetotaling a demand on all Christians. In fact, the Bible says that the weak Christian puts the binding conscience on everyone, takes their binding conscience that they've, and they take it too far. So they, instead of just saying, I'm a teetotaler, they say, you should be. And I've had this experience. I've had people look at me and say, you have to, as a leader of God's people, denounce drinking, denounce all forms of drinking. And I said, no, absolutely not. I can't do that. I stand with the word. Colossians chapter 2 tells us to not let anyone disqualify you because of drinking. Don't let anyone dis- disqualify you because of that. So there's, there really is no excuse for taking your, your personal decision of, of abstaining from alcohol and putting that on others and binding others. There's no excuse. We have the Bible, and the Bible tells us that's the weak position. So don't be weak. Be strong. It's fine to not drink. Don't drink, but don't tell others they can't drink. Don't bind those consciences of other people. That's the first mistake we can make. The second mistake we can make is abusing Christian liberty. Pastors should not be doing the beer mile, for goodness sake. We should not be treating alcohol like a teenager or a college kid treats alcohol. You know, that's so silly. This happens a lot of times right when people come out of fundamentalism or just realize that the Bible isn't against drinking and they start to drink and they turn into a 30-year-old college kid or a 25-year-old, 18-year-old, and they act like a juvenile with alcohol. And it's really ridiculous and it's sad and they really want to talk about being a beer connoisseur or whatever, but really they're just acting like a teenager. And pastors shouldn't be running around doing that kind of thing. It's not meant for God's men.
It's not meant for the pastorate. We are not to be drunkards, and we're not to act like teenagers, for goodness sake. So we don't want to use alcohol to tempt those in the way we talk about it, and the way we drink it, and the way we use it. We don't want to use alcohol in a way that tempts those who struggle with alcohol idolatry. We have people all across this land calling themselves addict who, in fact, are dealing with idolatry, the sin of idolatry. Alcohol is not out to get anybody, okay? Alcohol can't go and get you and make somebody an alcoholic. Even if your dad drank and your grandpa drank and your great-grandpa drank, they all sinned and dealt with idolatry. It wasn't a disease out to attack them. It was idolatry. And there are many people still struggling with idolatry, and we need to have the wisdom and the prudence to be able to know who we can drink around and who we cannot drink around. And so I'll often ask, hey, does this bother you? Or if I know somebody has dealt with alcohol idolatry in the past or currently is dealing with alcohol idolatry, I will not drink around them. Now, I'm not going to police the situation and go tell everybody, hey, you can't drink, you can't drink, you can't drink. It's a personal decision of mine. So I don't want to abuse my liberty, my Christian liberty. We don't want to bind the consciences of people trying to get them to drink either. To talk about Christian liberty is not to say to everybody, hey, you should be drinking too. Okay, we're, we're again, we're not teenagers trying to peer pressure people into our own Christian liberties here. We have to use wisdom and recognize that there are passages in the Bible speaking to the warnings against alcohol. We don't want to be foolish we don't want to be getting drunk. We don't want to abuse the good gifts that God has given us. One of those good gifts that God has given us is alcohol, and we don't want to abuse it. We want to use it within the biblical parameters. And so for us as pastors, if we're going to be God's men, we have to be wise, and we have to encourage God's people to be biblical. As stated in the beginning, this is one of the dividing lines where people are going to either lose their mind, they're going to get emotional, they're going to get whatever, and we have to encourage them over and over again, go to the scriptures. What do the scriptures have to say to this? If we're going to be a pastor, if we're going to be qualified, we have to be grown men who know how to not misuse alcohol, who know how to use alcohol in the appropriate way. We are not drunkards. Pastor, young men, seminarian, I know that sometimes the culture around you is flippancy with alcohol now. It's the opposite. The younger generation, millennials and down, um, maybe the Gen Xers and down, but the pendulum is definitely swung, and it's going away. That teetotaling is going away because it's not a biblical position. Now, voluntary abstinence from alcohol is not going away because people may want to make that choice. Pastors and people in your church may want to make that choice. But that position is going away. So the warning is to you, don't pendulum swing the other way to where drinking becomes for you so much a part of who you are that you couldn't imagine your life without it. If you're going to be God's man, you cannot be a drunkard. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.